go. All right, we are continuing our study in the book of Proverbs called Wisdom for the Home. And today, it's a very, very, very interesting subject. Unfortunately, we're, we're going to get the, uh, the 10,000 foot view because there's no way we can go through everything, not only that the book of Proverbs teaches, but that the Bible teaches about this subject, the subject of wealth and things in our home. Um, I've mentioned to you several times that probably today the two things that cause the most trouble within a marriage are money and sex or the physical attraction of the opposite sex. Whenever you look at Christian counselors and people that come to Christian counselors or marriage counselors and the things that they're talking about, Nine out of ten times, one of those two things is going to creep up as part of, if not, all of the problem. So it becomes very, very important that we learn what God says about how to manage those two things in our life, especially. Uh, And so today, we're going to look at wealth, things, and how that affects our home. So let's start in Proverbs chapter 15. Look at verse number 6. The Bible says, The house of the righteous contains great treasure, but the income of the wicked brings them trouble. Now, first of all, when the Bible says the house of the righteous contains great treasure, most people, the moment you read that, your definition of treasure would probably be monetary or material. I mean, that's just what we think of. When we think of finding hidden treasure, we think of Pirates of the Caribbean and a treasure chest. That's just how we're made. That's our human nature. When we think of treasure or we think of wealth, we think of materialism, something material that I can get my hands on, whether it's money or it's a material thing. That's what we think of. That's not always what God means when he says treasure. For example, he says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He also says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust does not corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. Now, let me ask you a question. If I am told by God to lay up treasures in heaven, how do I lay up money or things in heaven? You can't. So, my point being, when God talks about treasure... He's not always talking about material things or monetary things. He's talking about things much deeper and much more important than that. In this particular verse, that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about in the house of the righteous there is great treasure. In other words, if you and I live righteously, we will be monetarily and materially rich. Now, I know some people that think that's what it says, and so their gospel is... Health, wealth, and prosperity. That everybody, if you live for God and you do what's right by God, then you will be healthy, you will be wealthy, and you will prosper materially in everything that you do. Well, now, if that's true, then we've got to have a lot of really disappointed Christians. Because everybody's not like that. (laughs) Me being one of them. However, the Bible goes on to say, but the income. Now, notice what happens here. God talks about treasure. Then he uses another term when he talks about the wicked. Income. 
Why would he use that word about the wicked and not the word treasure? Because the wicked can't comprehend what God's treasure really is. All they think about when they think about treasure is materialism. That's all they know. They don't know God. So they don't know what real treasure really is. But notice what he says. The income of the wicked brings them trouble. Now let me ask you this. Do you think the Bible is saying that anybody who makes money, that money is going to cause everybody that has it trouble? Of course not. Of course not. I know people who are very wealthy and manage their money very well and love God with all of their heart. And God has actually given them, I believe, that gift and ability to do that because they use their gift, their ability, and by the way, their money to help the kingdom of God in many, many ways. Okay? So that's not what the verse is saying. The Bible is not saying that income brings trouble. It doesn't. So what is the key? What is the differentiator in the two transitions? What, what is it that makes the difference? It's two words. The word righteous and the word wicked. That's what makes the difference. It's not the treasure and it's not the income. It's the condition of the home. That's what makes the difference. Now, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at four things that the book of Proverbs teach us about wealth and things in our home relative to us being wise in our home. Okay? So let's look at these four things real quick, and then we're going to be done. Look down at verse 17 of chapter 15. Better a meal of vegetables where love is than a fattened calf with hatred. Hold your finger there. Turn over a page or so to chapter 17, verse 1. The Bible says, Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. I want you to notice a common word used in both these verses. It's the very first word. The word better. Better. The first thing we need to do in managing our homes wisely, the way God says, is we've got to establish priorities. Now, in your personal application questions on the back, one of the things that I've put down as a question for you to discuss is what are the priorities of your home? Can you list them? Do both of you know what they are and do both of you agree on them? This is a major issue in marital relationships. What are the priorities of your home? For example, is the priority of your home to make a million dollars before you're 40 years old? If it is, both of you need to know that's what the priority is. And if that is your top priority, it will govern everything you do. It will govern every decision you make in your home. Now, obviously, do you think that's a wise priority to have? Y'all are making me a little bit nervous. No, it's not. First of all, probably 99% of us, that ain't going to happen anyway. So, might as well not even make it a priority because you're blowing in the wind. I mean, it ain't going to happen. Okay? You may get lucky. Maybe you are one of those ones that God is going to bless with that. I, I don't know that. However, that's not my priority. What did Jesus tell when he was speaking um, to the people in the New Testament in one of his many 
excerpts. And um, it, it's interesting because one of my kids, one of our favorite songs is a song by Toby Mac. What if I gain the whole world and lose my own soul? What does that profit me? Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? Nothing. So, the first thing you've got to do is establish priorities. Now, let me give you four of them. Now, there are probably more we could add, but these four are specifically mentioned in the book of Proverbs. So, let's go through these first of all. Number one, righteousness. What is that? That is being like Christ in my life and my home, my decisions, and everything about me. Okay? In um, chapter 15 and verse number 6, the first verse we read, the house of the righteous contains great treasure. In chapter 10, look back at chapter 10 and verse number 2. Ill-gotten treasure are of no value, but righteousness delivers from death. Chapter 11 and verse number 4. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. You know, one of the priorities in our home ought to be righteousness. We want to live and be and act and react and make decisions based upon what would Jesus do. That ought to be a top priority in our home. Now, let's stop for a minute because that sounds real good in a spiritual sermon. But how does it happen in practical life. Whenever you and I have a decision to make, do we, if not verbally, at least mentally, ask ourselves, what would Jesus do in this situation? How would he respond? How would he react? How would he treat this person? What kind of decision would he make? Now, if you ask yourself that question, uh, a majority of the time, the answer will probably be, I'm not sure. So, if I'm not sure what Jesus would do, then what do I do next? I ask Him. I ask Him, Lord, what do you want me to do? How many times do you and I make major decisions in our family and never one time ever consult the creator of the universe about what we're supposed to do. We just do it. If a priority in my home is for us to live and act and react and be like Christ, then the, one of the things I'm going to do when I don't know what to do is I'm going to ask him, what do I do? Give me some direction. Now, there are a lot of ways you can get the answer to that. Number one is you can seek godly counsel. The Bible says in a multitude of counselors, their safety. Seek out godly people who you trust and ask them, what would be the wise thing to do? What do you think God would do in this situation? They may have been through it before, and they've already fought this battle and answered this question. Number two, you can just get along with God and His Word and ask God to give you clear direction from His Word. And He will do that. Now, don't be shocked if the only time you ever pick up a Bible is on Sunday morning and you have a major decision and you go and you say, God, can you please show me what I'm supposed to do? And you had not picked this thing up in six days. It may take you a while to find the answer because you have no clue where you're going. You don't know much about it. That's why it's so important that every day of our life 
We spend time in this book and we meditate on it. We learn it. We fill our minds with it. This is where those answers are. Okay? So, first of all, priority number one, righteousness. Number two, um, fear of the Lord. In um, chapter 15, look at verses 16 and 17. Chapter 15, verse 16 and 17. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened calf with hatred. Verse 16 says, it's better for me to have materially a little, but have the fear of God in my life and my home, than it is for me to have a lot of material things without fearing God. So, another priority is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is what protects me from sin. Now, what is the fear of God? The fear of God is a healthy respect and honor for God. In other words, I value what God thinks a lot more than what I think or what you think. I am, in the practical sense, I'm much more afraid of Him than I am of you. You may can hurt me. He can hurt me a whole lot more. You might can help me. He can help me a whole lot more. That's what the fear of God is. It's not, I'm afraid of God. That He's this big, mean person that if I don't do what He says, He's going to beat me half to death. That's not it. He's God. I honor and I respect Him. I have a healthy respect. When I was in college, one of the things I did to earn money was I worked with a friend of mine installing ceiling fans for a fan company in Pensacola, Florida. Now, when do people normally buy fans? When it's hot. In Pensacola, Florida, it gets really, really, really hot. I remember one time we were at a house out on the, the uh, bay, and we were installing eight ceiling fans in a home that was built in the 1800s. In the 1800s, they built homes with four-by-fours made out of solid oak. And there is no crawl space. So you dig through everything. Do you have any idea how much black dirt a home built in the 1800s in the attic can collect in all those years? A lot. My job was to crawl in the attics, to run the wires, to nail the braces between the trusses so the fans wouldn't fall through the ceiling. My partner's job, because he was the electrician, was to stand downstairs in the air conditioning and hook the fans up. Every now and then, I got an opportunity to do a little electrical work. Now, over time, I learned a lot about it. I now do all my own stuff. However, one of the things I learned during those early days of learning how to do this was I learned that if there is a positive line and there is a negative line and there is nothing in between and your finger becomes the common denominator between the two, you get lit up pretty good. And I got lit up more than once. I'm trying to hook up this fan. I got a white wire over here with nothing on the end of it. I got a black wire over here with nothing on the end of it. And I'm trying to reach up inside so I can get to it. And this big fat finger of mine happens to touch both of them at the same time. I got knocked off my ladder more than once. And it hurt. Fortunately, it was 110 volts and not 220. If it was 220, I would be in heaven watching somebody else teach you today. But it hurts. So you know what happened to me? Every time I work with electricity, 
even today, I am very, 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 very careful to make sure I do it exactly right. Why? Am I afraid of it? No, I'm not afraid of it. I understand it. I know how to do it. But I have a healthy respect for it because I know if it's not done right, what it can do to me. That's the fear of God. I'm not afraid of Him. I know who He is. I know He loves me. However, I also know what can happen to me if I don't obey Him. That's the fear of God. So, priority in the home. Number one, righteousness. I want to live and do and be like Jesus. Number two, the fear of God. I'm more afraid of what God thinks and respect that more than I do what the world thinks. Number three, another priority. It's found in verse uh, 17 of chapter 15. Better, by the way, notice all the uses of this word better. God wants him to have what's better. He says it's better, verse 17, a meal of vegetables where there's love than a fattened calf with hatred. Let me tell you what. Love ought to be a major priority in our home, and it does not come from money or material things. However, there are many families today that their definition of love is what do you give me? There are parents who think the way to show their children that they love them is to give them everything they want. That's how they show love. You're not showing love. You're actually, if you do that, you're going to ruin your children. You know what they're going to do? They're going to grow up, among other things, thinking that the world owes them whatever they want. And they'll never learn to work. You show, you know what? If you take a look at the top 100 CEOs in this country, find out how many, and I, and I don't know the answer to it. I know what some of them are. Find out how many of them came from a wealthy home where they were given everything they wanted and never worked for anything. You won't find many. Now, you can go down to the rescue mission and find a whole bunch of them. Love is not things. Remember when you got married? And I don't know what your vows were, but traditional, traditional vows say that we commit ourselves to each other and we love each other for richer, for poorer. Why? Because love has nothing to do with the amount of things we have. Sometimes, Denise and I, when we're traveling, we'll go by this old beat-up shack. I may have told you this. We call those kudges. Because what we do is we look at it and we say, could you stay married to me and live in that? That's a could you. And, of course, the answer needs to be sure. Sometimes I don't know if she means it, but it's supposed to be sure. Why? Because material things have nothing to do with my love for you. Nothing. Look at Jesus. He owned the cattle on a thousand hills and the wealth in every mine, yet he lived in poverty as a carpenter's son in Nazareth. He didn't come into the world as a wealthy millionaire. Love has nothing to do with that. And then another priority, number four, peace and quiet. Look at chapter 17, verse 1. Here's our word again, better. A dry crust, just a piece of old dried up bread, with peace and quiet, than a house full of feasting with strife. You know what God says? You'd be better off, you're wise, if your home 
is a home that has peace and quiet in it, even if you don't have a lot, than to be a millionaire where all you do is fight. Let me ask you this. How many of you like to fight with your spouse? I mean, you just love to do that. You wake up, you dream of doing that. I can't wait. You know, we just woke up. Let's get into a real good one. No, nobody does. Nobody likes that. It's no fun. It's horrible. Yet peace and quiet is wonderful. We have two grandsons. We have three. Two of them live here. It's interesting. David Ryan just turned two years old this past week. By the way, he's been into his terrible twos in action for months. But he turned two years old this past week. Uh, Brody is now just getting to the place where he can make noise. Uh, it's very interesting. I, I know now why they call them grandchildren. Because it's grand to see them come and grand to see them go. They get there when both of them start going at the same time. They are the definition of what is not peace and quiet. However, that's not what God's talking about. What God's talking about is peace and quiet in here. It can be quiet on the outside and a loud storm raging on the inside of us when there's no peace and there's no quietness. Okay? So, prioritize. The first thing we've got to do if we're going to handle wealth and things in a home is we've got to establish our priorities, and these are four of the main ones. And you'll notice, none of them have anything to do with money or material things. None of them. If these are not our priorities, we're going to get destroyed by money and things. Number two, learn contentment. Look at chapter 11 and verse number 6. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse number 6. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the unfaithful are trapped by evil desires. In the King James Version, the phrase evil desires is translated greed. The unrighteous are trapped by their greed. Do you know what gets more families in financial trouble than anything else? Greed. Keeping up with the Joneses. Wanting to have what everybody else has and trying to figure out, well, how do they do that? I mean, we're the same age they are. We both have good jobs like they do. How do they do that? You know, the one thing most of us don't see is their balance sheet. You don't see that. Did you ever stop to think that maybe they've got all these material things, but they've also got a net worth of negative $300,000? Because they owe, they owe. So off to work they go. They don't own anything. They owe for everything because they had to have it. And it's destroying. And let me tell you, that philosophy three years ago just about destroyed our country. Just about destroyed our economy. Now we're starting to recover a little because people are waking up, including the people who used to loan the money. Okay? Contentment. I wish we had more time to go through this. I've given you some verses here. In Proverbs chapter 28, verses 19 through 22, Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13, and Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, all of these verses talk about contentment, being content with what we have. Do you know the key to being able to accomplish the four priorities we just talked about 
is contentment. You can have peace. You can have you have all of that, and you don't have to have a lot of things if we learn to be content. It's when we get discontent. You know, let, let me let me tell you this, and we got to move on. Do you know how many people today are working in jobs that they hate to pay for things they thought they wanted, and now they're trapped because they can't afford to take the job they want because they won't make enough to pay for the things they thought they had to have. And now they're trapped. Somebody asked me a question three or four years ago which changed my whole philosophy about this. And that's when I took the Financial Peace University with my wife. I want to go back into ministry. He asked me this question. Can you afford to go back into ministry? What an eye-opening question. Of course, in the ministry, normally, you don't make a lot of money. However, our problem at the time was debt. Because we get things. And the answer to his question was, no, I can't afford it. And that was why. Okay? Learn contentment. It is a huge key to managing wealth and things in your home. Number three, manage your resources properly. Proverbs chapter 27, verses 23 and 24. Proverbs 27, verses 23 and 24. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks and give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. Basically what God is telling us here is we need to make sure that we are aware of our situation and we manage them properly because they're not going to always be there. They have to be managed. Now, I wish I had time to go through this, but we've done a series on mastering our money, and that's all about biblical principles of managing your finances. That's what this is. Everything we have comes from God. So when God gives it to us, we have to learn to manage it properly. And then finally, number four, dealing with wealth things in in, in our home wisely. The fourth thing is to honor God. Proverbs chapter 3, look at verses 9 and 10. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. The Bible says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Do you know honoring God with the wealth and the things He's given us is a key to living in our home and managing wealth and things properly? You and I cannot expect to be blessed in any way, financially especially, if we don't learn to give the way God says to give. Now, we, we don't have time to go through all that. We can talk about tithing. We can talk about the offering. We can talk about all that. We don't have time to do all that. I think you know what the Bible says. And, and, and this is between you and the Lord. But I will tell you this. And don't ever forget this. Everything we have belongs to God. Everything. I hear heard, I heard people all the time arguing over... Well, a tithe is only a tenth. And here's the real question. Whenever it comes to giving to the Lord, a lot of people say, how much of my income should I give to God? That's actually the wrong question. Theologically, it's incorrect. Here's the proper theological question to ask. How much of God's money can I keep for myself? Because it all belongs to Him. Not just 10% of it. It's all His. Now, all He asks 
is that we give what he tells us to give. And somebody says, how do I know if I'm giving what he tells me to give, if it's the right thing? Because if you do, Paul says that we give cheerfully. You know, some of you, you, you may be struggling right now with giving to the Lord. You say, well, I, I just don't know if I can afford 10%. Now, some people are going to sit up here and they're going to tell you, you can't afford not to. And in some respects, that's true. Here's what I recommend you do. Give what you can. Or give, let me rephrase it, what you think you can right now. Let God teach you how to give more. Will He do that? Absolutely. How's He going to do that? You give what you think you can and watch Him start giving it back to you. And the more He gives back to you, the more you're going to want to give Him. If I invest $10 and I get a 10% return, I get a buck. If I invest $20 and get a 10% return, I get double that. You start giving to God and watch God start giving back, pretty soon the percentages are going to click and you're going to want to give more. And you're going to then do it cheerfully. Okay? Giving is a key, but you let God lead you to do that. You do it the way God leads you. Okay? So, four things. Very simple. But four things that the book of Proverbs teaches us are very important when it comes to wealth and things in our home. All right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to handle wealth and things in our life properly, having the right priorities. And Lord, we'll thank you for what you do. Give us a good week. Direct us in our decisions. In Jesus' name, amen. See you, everybody. Have a good week.